Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 22, 29 through 34, and 47 through 62. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, if you'll open to those, that passage. And if you don't have your Bible with you, we have Bibles in the pews. And the regular Bible is pages 1103 and 1104. And the large print is 1637 and 1638. While y'all are looking those up, I would like again to uh, welcome our visitors and thank them for being here. We love having you, kind of like old Minnie Pearl has to say, I'm so proud to be here. Well, I hope you are too. So we'll... Uh... And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, God has asked, Satan, excuse me, has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I'll tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. We'll go to verse 47 now. While he is still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas... Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck a servant of a high priest, cutting his right ear, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answers, No more of this, as he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple, guards, and the elders, you had come for him, who had come for him. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the, to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at, at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and says, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, replied Peter. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. God bless the reading of his word. Well, we're back in this series on Peter. And uh, so far, we've just had a couple of looks at 
his early time from the, his calling to follow Jesus and then uh, his experience walking on water with Jesus for a moment before he sank like a rock, right? And uh, so we've been looking at this life of Peter and today we come up on um, to the, the passion of Christ. This is the week that we, um, when we get into Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and, and Easter and these um, holidays that our society observes, even the ones that don't necessarily know what it's all about, but it's, uh, it's well known because this is the week where we celebrate the death and the resurrection of our Lord. And it starts today with Palm Sunday. But as we look at, at Peter, this most famous of, of Jesus' followers and apostles, this one who uh, so famous and so prominent that the Catholic Church a few centuries later made him their first pope. I'm sure he was thrilled. Right? That's, you know, it's kind of like an honorary doctorate or something, right? Or, a, or, a, or, you know, like when the queen nowadays, when she knights people, I always get a kick out of that. You hear, you know, like pop stars and stuff. I mean, I would pay good money to see Sir Elton John face off against a knight of old, wouldn't you? <laughs> they could joust or something and just see how he fares. You know, it just cracks me up. But anyway, I digress. Pope Peter, the first, you know, he, he, uh, he had a prominent place in the Gospels. When you read the Gospels, he was often with Jesus, even if others weren't. He was often doing things for Jesus at Jesus' request. He was often mentioned. And if we look at the early church and the, the launch of the church, uh, then Peter's front and center at the beginning of that as well. And so we're just taking a few weeks and looking at this life of this remarkable man, not because he was born remarkable, he was very ordinary, but he ended up doing extraordinary things for the kingdom because of his bold faith, and his willingness to take risks, and his willingness to fail sometimes. And we can identify with that part at least, can't we? And so this week in particular, we're going to look at his biggest failure of all. Now, my voice, if it sounds a little bit different today, I've been sick. <laughs> right? My whole family, except for Peter, somehow, and we're just still praying he doesn't get whatever we've had going on. Uh, he seems to have survived the worst of it anyway so far. But, uh, man, we have, we have been through it for a long time. And Wednesday I could hardly talk, and I was threatening half of you with having to preach the sermon. So I know you all are all breathing, breathing a little easier now, right? But uh, we'll see. We'll see how if my voice will hopefully hold out. Otherwise, you'll have a shorter than usual sermon, and don't start praying for that, please. <clears throat> I want to ask you for a moment to be the boss today. All right, and you're going to get to decide. I'm going to read several examples. You're not going to have all the details, just a general scenario. If you were the boss and you had an employee that did one of these things, would you fire him? Or would you give them a second chance? Basically, each of these things I'm going to read to you, you have to decide, is that a fireable offense or not? And if you think that it's a fireable offense and you would, you would send them packing, then you're going to give me a thumbs down, all right? But if you think you'd give them a second chance, you give me a thumbs up. Now, these are reportedly, reputedly real things that managers and people have come up against. So, I didn't make these up. All right, first one. 
employee insisted on hugging a customer after the customer repeatedly said they did not want to be hugged. <laughs> would you give them a second chance or would you let them go? Second chance. All right. Hey, y'all are generous. Employee takes a nap during his shift in plain view of the customers. Employee takes a nap in plain view of the customers during his shift. (laughs) Not as generous on that one. That's the last nap he took there. Employee stealing lunches from the fridge in the break room. (laughs) Do you let him go or do you give him a second chance? We've got mixed reaction here. Mixed reaction. You can tell how much y'all value your lunches. Or which ones have had this happen to you, right? (laughs) Employee fills up his wife's gas tank with the company card. With the company credit card, you know. Fills up his wife's gas tank. First time, I guess, yeah. <laughs> All right. Most of you say he's got to go, but few of you are still generous. Uh, last one I've got. Wait, no, not the last one I've got. Two more. Employee hires two call girls and charges it to the company card. <laughs> I think we're unanimous on that one. We're unanimous. Last one here. Male employee's drug test come back, comes back saying he's pregnant. <laughs> I'm thinking he faked that one I'm thinking he did (laughs) no matter how naive we may be we all know that there's a certain line somewhere that if you cross it that's a fireable offense if you cross it they're going to let you go you can't just do anything you want to do and keep your job, right? And we transfer this understanding to our relationships as well. We, we understand that there's probably a line that we could cross that would cause our parents to say enough's enough. And for some of us that would be true. I mean, we, we all know of situations, right, where parents have cut their kids off because they just couldn't agree with what they were doing or whatever the case was. We transfer this knowledge to our Romantic relationships, be it a girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance, spouse, there's certain lines that you, if you cross them, you can expect to be fired, right? And I think that a lot of times we transfer this to our relationship with God. And we believe that, you know, if there's a certain line that we crossed, wherever that line would be, some unpardonable sin, maybe, unforgivable cross some line out there and it's kind of gray where that is and so a lot of us we live with fear or guilt or grief that kind of paralyzes our Christian faith because we're not sure where we're at with God and what he's willing to forgive and what he's not willing to forgive and how far is too far and we have a lot of questions about things like that and so we're going to look at the life of Peter And we're going to look at what by all accounts should be a fireable offense. And we're going to see what we can learn from the life of Peter today. Now, we're kind of skipping some significant events 
in the life of Peter. Just because we don't have time to cover them all. You know, we would be in this series a long time because there's a lot of things mentioned from the life of Peter. But I want to give you just a few highlights of things we're skipping over before we get to this Passion Week, as it's called. And the first one was, and, and actually, if you were here the week that Carvin spoke a few weeks back, he touched on a couple of these. And this first one, Jesus gets away with his disciples, and that took some doing at this point in his ministry because they were so immensely popular. Crowds followed him everywhere they went. He found a way to get away with just his closest disciples. And he asked them two questions. And the first question was, what are people saying? Who are people saying that I am? And they answered with things like, well, you know, people say you're like one of the prophets or something. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, famously bold, right, says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the living God. All right, and, and Jesus, playing on the nickname that he had given Simon, Peter, which means rock, says, you know, well, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, my kingdom, my movement. <clears throat> on this rock being this proclamation, this faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So, big moment for Peter which was shortly thereafter followed by a failure, but we'll skip over that one for now. That's just how it goes with Peter. Another big moment, and if you want to hear more about that, you can, again, go back on our you know, cypressstreet.org and you can listen to Carvin's message on that. It was really good, and he went into depth about that whole experience of Peter. <clears throat> Another one that he kind of had that a lot of disciples didn't is him... And uh, James and John were all present when Jesus raised a little girl back to life. Now, that wasn't the only time that Peter saw Jesus raise someone back to life, but that was one that he was kind of exclusively there for. Another moment that we're skipping over is uh, what's called the transfiguration. Have you ever heard that one? Basically, it's, and, and Carvin hit on this one too in his message, but uh, basically it was a moment... A, we could call it supernatural moment that Peter and again James and John with him, Jesus' closest followers, were there for, where they saw irrefutable evidence of Jesus being the Son of God, being who he said he was, of being the Messiah, the Christ, the one sent by God. He was transfigured, if you will, before their eyes, and they saw the glory of God. In that moment. Powerful moments that lead up to where we are today. As Jesus sets his sights on Jerusalem and says, Alright guys, it's time we're going to go and we're going to head back to Jerusalem. It was their custom to head to Jerusalem certain times of the year for certain festivals. And Passover was coming up. And not only that, but Lazarus had just died. Jesus says we're going to head to Jerusalem. Now you need to understand, as Jesus grew in popularity with the masses, he declined in popularity with the leadership in Jerusalem, both the Jewish leadership and the Roman leadership. And this was not news to anybody. This was not news to Jesus. It was not news to his disciples. They knew how it worked 
from past would-be messiahs. When you gain a certain notoriety and you cause enough trouble, then they put a stop to it. And there was no, uh, there was no doubt that Jesus was not the favorite of the leadership in Jerusalem. He was at odds with the Jewish leaders all the time. And there must have been some sense of unrest, some sense of plotting, some sense of... They knew what was going on because Thomas, when Jesus says it's time, we're heading to Jerusalem, Thomas, ever the optimist, says, well guys, we might as well go with him and die with him. (laughs) Let's go so we can die with him. They knew what was going on. They knew this was dangerous. But they head to Jerusalem. And outside Jerusalem, there's this town called Bethany. They stopped there, and that's where Lazarus, their friend, had died. And Jesus famously raises Lazarus back to life. And news spreads of this as crowds converge on Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And Jesus, if anything, is more popular than ever. And more and more people believing. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey as a king. And people hail him as a king and they shout out Hosanna, which means save us. And for a lot of them, save us would have meant save us from Rome. Save us from oppression. Rise up and be, you know, that was their idea of a Messiah at that time. Someone who would overthrow Rome and take up and help Israel to take its rightful place again as an independent nation. God's people. And put God back in charge of things. And so he rides in, and that's, that's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. People waved palm branches, and they threw their coats down in the road, and they hailed him as a king. And of course, this made the religious leaders in, every, in Rome <laughs> raise their eyebrows quite a bit. And they enter the city, and as Passover approaches, Jesus sends Peter and John to go find a place for them to take this Last Supper, as we call it now. This last Passover meal that Jesus would take. And they arrange, they make the arrangements. And on that night, in that room, what we call the upper room, where they were gathered together, Jesus and his closest followers, to take this last meal, Peter has two more big, bold statement moments. The first one came as Jesus went to wash his disciples' feet. Maybe you've heard the story where he takes a towel and he takes water and he washes their feet and that seems so weird to us, but that was every time that you sat down to a meal you washed your feet, but usually a servant went around and washed everyone's feet, like a servant, a slave. It was certainly not the job of the leader to do that. But Jesus does this because the central value of his kingdom is different than the world's kingdoms. And it is that the greatest shall be the least. So he tells them, remember this. Serve one another. If you want to be the greatest, you need to be the least in my kingdom. And sometimes in the church we still get this upside down, don't we? Well, he comes to Peter. And Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you're going to understand. And Peter says, no. You will not ever, you'll never wash my feet. 
Jesus says, unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. (laughs) Peter turns it around pretty fast. Well then, Lord, wash all of me. Wash me from my head to my toes, right? (laughs) That's Peter for you. (laughs) Bold statement. Lord, you're never going to touch me with that wash towel and everything. No, no, no. That's the job of a servant. And you are my Lord and this is not right. And uh, Jesus rebukes him and then he just turns it around. All right, then (laughs) wash me good, you know. And the next bold statement that Jesus, that Peter makes comes after Jesus makes this statement. You know, he's talking about the kingdom that he's going to leave in their hands. This is a dark night. It's not a pleasant conversation as Jesus talks about what's about to happen to him. And he says, Simon, Simon. Interesting. They didn't call him Peter. Peter, which means rock. I bet Peter took note of which name Jesus used for him. He says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter must have taken some offense. First of all, He's calling him Simon. Second of all, he's so worried about Peter's faithfulness that he's praying for him that his faith won't fail. So Peter just feels the need to let the Lord know how it is with him. And so Peter announces, well, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I will stick with you no matter what comes in the next few hours and while we're here in this town where they have it out against you I will have your back alright you can count on me I'll be Peter not Simon I'll be your rock you can count on me Jesus again rebukes says I tell you Peter before the rooster crows today you'll deny three times that you even know me (laughs) you think you'll Go to prison with me? You think you'd die for me? I'm telling you, before this night is over, you'll deny even knowing me. Not once. Not twice. Three times. From that room, they were told they walk out into a garden outside of the city. And Jesus takes, again, Peter, James, and John a little further on and says, pray with me. Stay up and pray with me. But they even fail at that. And then in the night, Judas comes with his traitor's kiss and a a bunch of Roman soldiers and representatives from the high priest. And they show up and Peter, again, in a big act of boldness, takes a swing at a chief priest's servant. He even gets rebuked for that. And Jesus heals the guy's ear back. And then Jesus says, all right, this is the hour of darkness. In a sense, you know, all hell was breaking loose, literally. And the disciples seem to be scattered at this moment as Jesus is hauled into custody and taken first to the high priest's home. And we're told that Peter and another, we believe John, they go to the high priest's courtyard and they gain entrance into this courtyard. 
And somehow or another, the you know, a lot of times then they'd have big pillars and roofs and but open air. You know, there's no air conditioning back then, right? So lots of open air stuff going on. And and somehow or another, the the courtyard was adjacent enough that they could see Jesus and they could see what was going on. I just want you to imagine for a moment what it would be like to be Peter, undercover, kind of, in this courtyard trying to spy on what was happening. And the whole time you're thinking, this is not good. This is not good. As they start questioning Jesus, as they start slapping him around. And you can tell where it's leading. And and a servant, because that's who would be hanging out in the courtyard. A servant says, hey, you're, you're with him, aren't you? Woman, I don't know what you're talking about. Someone else. No, you, you've got to be one of them. Man, I am not. And finally, you know, your accent gives you away. You're, I mean, you're Galilean, we can tell. and You must be one of them. And with an oath, I don't even know what you're talking about. And something in, in Peter's gut in that moment must have wondered did Jesus see that because he steals a glance and when he does he finds Jesus ready to lock eyes with him across the courtyard and the rooster crows and it all comes flooding back on Peter where in this moment where he's gripped by fear He had been anything but the rock that he had professed he would be for his Lord. And instead of deciding to be bold in that moment, he's gripped by guilt. He's gripped by grief. He's gripped by fear. And he leaves and he weeps bitterly, we're told. And I imagine that he kept on weeping as they dragged Jesus all over back and forth, trial to trial, whipping him, beating him, and eventually executing him on that cross. I imagine he kept weeping as they buried him in that tomb. And as he wrestled with what to do, And as the disciples didn't know what to do, Jesus was gone. Peter had denied Jesus. He had failed. Who were they to lean on? What were they to do? It was a dark hour. A bold failure. Have you ever failed Jesus? I know I have. Have you ever promised Jesus something you would do or that you would spend time with him even and then you fail to follow through? Or you know what Jesus would have you to do, but you choose to do what you'd rather do? Or maybe you've even like been in a situation more similar to what Peter was in where you feel like Jesus is on trial, but you don't speak up, you don't say a word. You're afraid. 
and you fail your Lord and your Savior. Most of us, at some point or another, we mess up big. We fail big. I mean, maybe not as bad as Peter. (laughs) That's pretty bad. And what happens when we do that? I think a lot of us react a lot like Peter. Now, some of us, we harden our hearts eventually. That's how we deal with it. We harden our hearts and we refuse to recognize our failures. We're fine. We're doing fine. There's nothing wrong with us. We live in denial. We suppress the conviction of God's Spirit in our life. So we don't want to deal with it. And we harden our hearts. But for a lot of us, we deal with it through guilt or through grief or through fear. The things that Peter was feeling on this night. And on, on the one hand, there's nothing wrong with guilt and grief and fear if it's a healthy guilt and a healthy grief and a healthy fear that get resolved as we come to Christ and find forgiveness in Him. But there's also an unhealthy kind of guilt, and it leads to shame. A guilt that leads to people struggling to believe that, they, that God can do anything with someone like them. The struggle to believe that Jesus could ever love someone like them, could ever want someone like them. They don't deserve it. They're too bad. There must be something inherently wrong with them. And they cannot follow Christ. That's an unhealthy guilt that leads to shame. There's also an unhealthy Grief, an unhealthy grief that leads really to, I don't know what else to call it, self-pity. And they're constantly trying to make amends, to do better, but I can never quite measure up, can never do enough. And the weight of their unfaithfulness disqualifies them in their own eyes. How could Jesus ever love them, much less want someone such as they? And there's also an unhealthy fear that leads people to bondage. A bondage that I think is just as bad as the bondage to sin. Because what it does is they become consumed with playing cat and mouse with hell. Of trying to keep out. It's a a moral game. They have like a self-imposed moral code that they put on themselves and all this pressure and weight that they put on themselves to perform at a certain level uh, to escape Satan's grasp and somehow sneak their way into heaven and they're paralyzed by this fear and in all these cases of guilt and grief and fear that lead to shame and self-pity and bondage many of us we find ourselves living as though Christ is always looking across the courtyard waiting for us to mess up waiting for us to blow it so he can catch us in the act and in all these cases we end up paralyzed from doing anything for the kingdom the guilt and the grief and the fear 
it turns our eyes so inward that we can't worry about the condition of anyone else's soul. We're completely consumed with our own problems. And that can't be healthy. There's, you can't possibly be in a healthy relationship following Jesus and not have a healthy concern for other people's souls. But that's what happens when we become so consumed by guilt and grief and fear that we're paralyzed and unable to do anything for the kingdom because our worry about ourselves. So I want to suggest to you today that when you work for Jesus, there are no fireable offenses. And let me just say a couple of disclaimers before people get all up in arms or something. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's no consequences for what you do. There's consequences for every choice you make, be it good or be it bad. And I'm also not even arguing for some kind of brand of eternal security where, you know, if you prayed some kind of prayer at some point in your life, then your name's forever written and you're one of God's elect no matter how you want to live your life or what you want to do with Jesus from there on. You, you prayed the prayer, you're good. <laughs> not advocating that either. I'm saying that when you're working for Jesus, when you're following Jesus, there are no fireable offenses. I'm not saying that you can't quit People do quit. People start off walking with Jesus and then decide for whatever reason that they're done. They hang it up. The things of this world are too attractive, perhaps, in their life. Or maybe they become so paralyzed by one of these things, guilt or grief or fear or all of the above, that it overwhelms them and they just decide that they're not cut out for this Christian thing. You can quit on Jesus. But there are no fireable offenses. If there were, don't you think Peter's would have qualified? But we often forget what Peter must have forgotten in that moment in the courtyard when he locked eyes with Jesus and he went out and he wept bitterly. That just a little bit ago, just hours ago in a room, Jesus had said this to him. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Before Peter even failed, forgiveness was there. Isn't that powerful? And before you even failed... Forgiveness was there, available to you. And what did Peter do to gain that forgiveness? He turned back. He didn't quit. He said, Lord, I want to keep serving you. And there's this powerful moment later, I believe we'll see it next week, as the Lord restores Peter by three times, asking him, do you love me? Are you going to serve me? I don't know what you face in your life with all this stuff, but I'm just willing to guess that in a group this size, 
There's some of us that struggle to ever feel like we measure up. We struggle with guilt. We struggle, struggle with grief. We struggle with an unhealthy fear. So that we're paralyzed in our faith. Because our faith for us has become just a, a struggle to be good enough. A struggle to be moral enough that Jesus would somehow accept us. And remember, there's a, there's a mission that God called us to. If you were here for that first message where Jesus called Peter, you might remember when, when Peter fell at Jesus' feet and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And remember that, that Jesus, he didn't say, You're right, Peter, you're a mess, and I'll try to make something of you if I can. He said, Peter, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. I'm on a mission, Peter. Join me on the mission. But see, when we get so wrapped up in our performance and trying to not cross that line that might put us over into a fireable offense, we become paralyzed from ever getting on the mission. And it's time that we realize that there's forgiveness that's waiting there for you before you even failed. This is not permission to go on sinning as much as you want. This is, this is when you're following Jesus and, you're work, and then you blow it and you mess it up. Whether it's on a scale of what Peter did or a lesser scale. If you'll turn back to Jesus, there's forgiveness already waiting for you. There are no fireable offenses. There's just people that quit. Like Judas quit. Your boldest failure can never exceed the boldness of God's grace toward you in Christ. Your boldest failure can never exceed the boldness of God's grace toward you in Christ. I've heard people say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know, you don't know my history. God could never forgive someone like me after what I've done. What you're saying is that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't good enough for you. You needed something a little more. His grace wasn't big enough for you. You're a special case. Well, there are no special cases. We've all blown it. We all should have been fired. But when we work for Jesus, when we choose to turn to Jesus, there are no fireable offenses and our boldest failures can never outbolden his grace. So for all of us today, when you've turned back, when you turn back from whatever failure you faced, when you turn back from your unhealthy guilt or grief or fear and you finally accept that there's forgiveness there waiting for you, remember he has work left for you to do. Remember that he's on a mission. There's some brother or sister in Christ who needs your encouragement. There's some soul lost in darkness that needs the light that you can shine. And there's always the poor who are always with us, who need the church to be the hands and the feet of Christ. There's a mission. And it's time 
that we accept Jesus' forgiveness and get back on the mission, that we turn back and embrace the forgiveness that was waiting there for us before we even blew it and get back to work. Because there's too much darkness in this world for us to sit around shining the light on ourselves, right? Let's get to work for Jesus. Will you stand with me? Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for grace. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. We thank you for loving us while we were still yet sinners. Lord, some of us need to admit our guilt, our grief, our shame, our hardened hearts. And just how all that has made us selfish in our pursuit of you. Holy Spirit, heal our hearts. Assure us of our security in Christ. And help us get to work for your kingdom. And we pray it in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.